Well, good good morning. We're glad that you have chosen to join us. I'm not sure who else is with me. Um, I'm having all sorts of technical difficulties today, so um, good morning to the other person on here, and good morning to the rest of you when you do get on. If you would, uh, if you don't mind when you do get on, uh, just leave a like or a comment so that we can at least say hi. Um, otherwise, let me make you aware of a couple of announcements. Um, Lord willing, on the 14th of January, we'll have a fellowship meal at our house. Uh, that's depending on the health of the church body and our own household at that time. If we all look like we are healthy, um, then we'll plan on hosting that again. Otherwise, um, we won't. Um, the same thing is true for our midweek services and next Sunday services. Um, depending on how people's health is doing, um, we'll determine whether or not we gather once again corporately um, earlier or later. Um, January 30, 31st, I think, maybe it's the 30th. It's a Sunday. Uh, we'll have our annual meeting, so be aware of that. and make plans now to be in attendance on February 5th and 6th is the midwinter couples retreat uh, we would encourage you to make plans to attend that as well um, and then um, hi I can't see who you are because I've got the printer won't even work I can't even print my notes it's just it's one of those days so I got my computer here and that's covering up who's watching so I can see somebody says hi but Unless you post your name, I can't tell who you are. Anyways, um, sorry. Um, yeah, it's been a long day. I spent an hour trying to get this up and running, so. Um, yeah, um, I think that's it. Oh, in late February, there's the... Uh, Monopoly Madness, and then in April there's also the IRBC meetings. So you can plan on attending those. <clears throat> Alright, so we're in my office because I can't get the Mevo to work up there for some reason. And I decided it wasn't worth any more time. So, um... Without um, further ado, why don't you take your Bibles and let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And let's read through the text. Romans chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 21. And as we read through the text, I want you to ask yourself uh, the question, what are you here for? What is your purpose? What is your objective? What is your aim in life? Why are you here? And I think that Paul is writing to the Romans and after explaining to them the gospel and the implications of the gospel and the fact that they are now justified, they have no need to fear before God because he has um, declared them to be righteous. There is now no more condemnation. There is no more fear. They have been set apart to live holy and sanctified lives. And God has a plan that he is working about through the nation of Israel. That is the argument that you will see in Romans chapters 1 through 11. And then in chapter 12, he is going to transition from a position of 
This is what has happened to this is now how you live. And so I think it's very, very fitting that he is answering the question, what are you here for? If you would take your Bibles, let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our pro faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on thing, high things, but associate with the humble, do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for um, answering the question for us. What are we here for? We pray that as we um, examine this text briefly, that we would understand what it means for us and how we are to live in relationship with you and with those who are around us. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I, I think that as we read through the text, I think that you'll see that the, the big idea of the text is all our relationships must be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that that is um, made very clear, made very evident as we look to the fact that Paul appeals based on the mercies of God. As he begins verse 2 and he's writing to them and he's telling them, okay, this is what your relationship to God should look like. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And so what are these mercies of God? What is it that he is talking about? Because it seems somewhat vague maybe if if all we do is read verse 12 or chapter 1 or uh, chapter 12 verse 1. But I think as we 
go back and we look at the rest of what Paul has been talking about and arguing from the very beginning of the book, it becomes very clear and very evident to us one, right away what he is talking about. So let's go kind of in a very quick manner through the big ideas that the book of Romans has developed up to this point. If you were with us last Sunday night, we looked at Romans chapter 1 and some of the beginning components of that book, and I told you that Paul is writing to the Romans, and as he writes to the Romans, he's telling them, hey, I really would like to come and offer you a spiritual gift. And I don't think that the spiritual gift he's talking about in those opening verses is referring to a gift that allows them to prophesy or a gift that allows them to speak in tongues or a gift that allows them to heal somebody or the gift of encouraging or the gift of giving or the gift of serving. I don't think he's talking about anything like that. He's not talking about something like that. He's talking about something far more general, something far more broad is what he's discussing. And I think what he's discussing is the gospel and its implications for life. And that is why, as he concludes his prayer and he tells them, I've been praying for you, I'm thankful for you, and I have a deep yearning to come and minister to you, he moves right into what he has a deep desire to minister to them with, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. And he goes on and he says, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so he introduces this concept of the gospel and he says, the gospel is for everyone. And it's revealed by faith. It's revealed by us placing our faith in his finished work on the cross. And so from there, what does he do in explaining to us the mercies of God that chapter 12 talks about? He moves on and he says the need of salvation was for everyone. And he does this from the very beginning of chapter 1 verse 18. He begins to explain to people, you know, the Gentiles were truly lost. For the wrath of God is revealed against an against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. But I, I don't really have time to dive into all the nuanced details. That's not my, my desire. But if you would, just go to chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 and look and see what he says there. What then are we to say? What then? Are we better than they? Uh, he's talking to the Jews now. He's transferred from talking initially about the Greeks in chapter 1, verse 18 and saying, you guys are condemned you have no hope. You're lost. You're separated from God. You're going to hell. But God in his rich mercy came and he saved you by sending his son. Won't you believe in him? Won't you place your faith in him? And then he turns to the Jews and he says, You guys have smirks on your face. You think that you're better, but you're really not. And that's what chapter nine or chapter three verses nine through twenty one are really getting at. We're just going to look at chapter nine or chapter three, verse nine and ten, and then also verse twenty to try and you know encompass this idea. He's talking to the Jews and he says, "What then? Are we better than they?" And he says, "Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. There is none righteous, no, not one." And then verse twenty, therefore. 
By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It says, your good deeds, Jews, couldn't do anything for you. And so from there, he begins to really open our eyes to the great mercies of God. And so in um, chapter 3, verse 21 or so, all the way through the end of chapter 5, what he's going to do is he's going to tell them how they have been justified. How now God has come, entered into the world, he's declared them righteous because they've chosen to place their faith in his finished work. And he says, you're justified. You're declared righteous. God looks on you and he doesn't see your sin. Instead, he chooses to say, you are righteous. Not because of who you are, but because of what my son has done. Look with me at chapter 5, verses 18 and 21. Chapter 5, verses 18 and 21. Therefore... As to one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he tells them you've been justified, you've been declared righteous by God. And he understands that people are going to sit there and they're going to say, well, you know, if we started off with this horrible message that we were no better than the Gentiles and that we were condemned and that we are separated from God's goodness. But now God looks at us and he declares us righteous by our faith. Live it up. Live how you like. Enjoy life. It's short. And he says, oh no. No, 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 no. You've missed something because the gospel doesn't simply declare you righteous. No, the gospel is also what sanctifies you and sets you apart to a holy life. And so he begins to answer that question in chapter 6. He says, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So there's supposed to be this new life, this new us. We're different. So we walk different today. And the fact that he set us apart means that our ultimate hope is secured as well. And that's what he's going to continue to argue. And he's going to say, even though you'll face sin and there's going to be times in your life where you look at your own sin and you look at the, the sin that you commit and you're like, how do I continue on in, in a path of sin like this when I know who I am? I am, I am a son of God. And I choose to live in a way that is completely contrary to the message that provides such hope in Jesus Christ. 
Then he moves into chapter 8, and as he moves into chapter 8, he explains that there is no condemnation, and he concludes with the most, you know, crescendo-like passage in Romans chapter 8. He says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So the, the fact that you've been sanctified doesn't simply mean that you live a holy, righteous life now, which is what chapter 6 and 7 are arguing. And you'll fail, yes, chapter 7. It also means that ultimately you will be glorified. That God will not forget you and leave you where you are. This is extreme grace. This is mercy to the highest order. That God would look at you in chapters 1 through 3 and there is no hope that you have. And that he would send his son to come to the earth to pay the penalty for your sins and for my sins so that we could be declared righteous before God that he would then sanctify us and set us apart to good works on this earth and also guarantee us that we will have a home with him in heaven this is mercy What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all, for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who glorifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He moves on from there, and he tells us that God is ultimately in control, and that God's plan will be worked out, and that is immediately what proceeds this reminder of God's mercy. Oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Who, who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, and to him to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what does Paul say? He says that all this that is coming who we are, what we're here for, is based on the mercies of God. That you were separated from God, that you had no hope, that God looked down upon you and he had mercy and he sent his son to die for your sins and for my sins. That he set you apart to live a holy life, that he has promised that he will glorify you and that he's got all of this in his plan and in his control and he knows exactly how it'll all work out.
even with Israel having been removed currently from God's plan, but will once again be restored and God will fulfill his plan for Israel. He says, this is God's mercy. He says, based upon all of this, God's mercy, this is what you and I must do. Believers then are called to present themselves as sacrifices to the Lord. <clears throat> that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We're supposed to present ourselves as people who are holy, who are acceptable, and who are accomplishing worship through our everyday lives. That is what he says we are supposed to do. But he goes on to tell us exactly how that looks. Because right now all he's done is he's told us what we're supposed to do. So we're supposed to be offering ourselves as a sacrifice. But so far we don't really know how we're supposed to do that. And to tell you to do something, but not to tell you the means by which you're supposed to accomplish that task, is quite hopeless indeed. And so he moves on from here and he begins to explain to them in verse 2, this is exactly what this will look like. This is how you take these actions and you understand what you are here for. And for the first point, you are here for relationship with God. And so he says in verse 2, and do not be conformed. This is how we present ourselves as sacrifices. We don't conform ourselves to this world. Instead, we transform ourselves into Christ's likeness. We become more like Jesus. How? By renewing our minds. What do we renew our minds with? We renew our minds by spending time individually in God's Word. We renew our minds by spending time corporately in God's Word. We renew each other's minds by pointing each other as we come into community, as we come into fellowship with one another, to God's Word and reminding one another, this is God's Word. And this is how it instructs. This is how it encourages. This is how it challenges. This is how it equips you in this situation. And he says, if you want to be a sacrifice fit for serving your king, who has demonstrated abounding mercy to you, then you must not be conformed to the way the world thinks. You must be transformed, and you must do that by continually renewing your mind, adopting a new outlook on the world. 2020, if nothing else, proved to us that the world has a drastically different outlook on life and what it means to be a human being. And God tells us, don't be conformed to that. Rather, be transformed. And we do that by continually renewing our minds. What are you here for? In part, you're here for a relationship with God, for service to God. 
and for you to be equipped for that service for you to be equipped for that service you must realize that you are not here to serve the world you are here to be transformed into Christ likeness by constantly renewing your mind in verses 3 through 21 he's going to develop a second idea as to the answer of what are you here for and I think that the second thing that you and I are here for is we are here for relationships to others relationships to others and I think that there are two big ideas that he communicates here as we think about this idea of relationship to others the first is we must develop humility and the second is we must develop love he begins with humility and he discusses humility from verse 3 all the way through verse 8 and then he picks up the concept of love in verse 9 and he develops the concept of love in our relationship with others from verse 9 all the way through verse 21. Let's begin with humility. Humility in verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, for as, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace <coughs> that is given to us, let us use them in prophecy. Let us use them in prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul begins and he arrests the attention of the Roman church and he urges humility. And I think what he's getting at is, you must develop a humble stance. And you must, in your humility, realize that you are not meant to simply serve yourself. You are here to serve others. And a Christian who fails to find ways to meaningfully engage and serve the body of Christ on a regular basis basis fails to understand and fails to meet their God-given purpose of what they are here for. You are here for relationship to God, yes. But secondly, you are here for relationship with others, which is guarded by and grounded by humility. And so he begins and he outlines and he explains to them, hey, you are here for relationship. You are here for fellowship for community with one another what he's getting at then is that you have an integral relationship an integral part in the body of Christ and because you are an important part of the body of Christ doesn't mean that you can you know go around all proud with yourself because you know I'm really big stuff I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat important because I'm I'm an important part of the body of Christ you know I mean if they didn't have if they didn't have me, they wouldn't be able to do this because I'm the elbow, you know? That's not the idea. 
says you all have components you all have aspects that are integral and valuable for the ministry of the local church you must engage you must use those in a proper way he moves on from there and he says the other thing that we must do is we must love one another and that is in verses 9 and following through verse 21. Our service then should be a faithful demonstration of our love for one another. It's interesting, he begins this concept once again with the idea of love. Love. And I think that love is the characteristic that then governs everything from verse 9 all the way through verse 21. Humility governs verse 3 through verse 8, I believe. But love governs, governs verses 9 through verse 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. It's interesting the way he has stated that. It's possible for us to act as if we are loving each other, but simply to be acting as hypocrites. With no genuine love and no genuine care for one another. And so I think what he's doing in the following verses is he's outlining for believers how they interact with one another demonstrates to a world that is watching that they do indeed love each other and that they have a desire to live in real, genuine relationship with one another. Why? Because they are an integral part of each other's lives. Because what are we here for? We're here for a relationship with God, yes. But I think verses 3 through 21 are arguing that you are also here for relationship with one another. And it's interesting because he only spends two verses highlighting the fact that you are here for a relationship with God and that you must not conform yourself to the way the world thinks. The way the world thinks is quite drastically different from the way that the world should think. And the way that scripture instructs us to teach. And so he says, don't be conformed to that. Be, be transformed to this. Be, become like Jesus. Jesus is our goal. Jesus is our aim. That is what we're pursuing. Everything else will be burned away. Don't get distracted. That's what he's getting at. But now he says, with a greater portion of his space, you're actually here for a relationship with others, which is one of the greatest ways you demonstrate that you are actually in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because your actions will demonstrate that you are different. And so he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Do you, do your actions demonstrate that you hate what is evil? Or do you enjoy those things that are evil 
secretly. And he says, in contrast to abhorring what is evil, what we should be doing is clinging to or holding fast to what is good. He says, by kindly affectionate to one another, with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. What, what could you do to give up your perceived rights to demonstrate that you genuinely care for and would like to be in fellowship with other believers? Maybe it means that you you keep your mask on for a couple extra minutes when you know people that you know appreciate masks are in your company. He says, "Be kindly affectionate to one another and, and with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord." Rejoicing in hope. It's interesting. In the midst of all this, he's reminding us to love one another. I think this is in the same context. But he directs our focus to something else. Our, our hope is not here. Our hope is not in 2024. Our hope is not in 2028. One of my college friends uh, posted on Facebook this last week. It looks like Americans will have to start trusting God again and not the political powers that be. Ouch! Right? What are we supposed to rejoice in? Where does our hope lie? Our hope lies in, in God. And in his coming deliverance and in his coming kingdom. It ties in a lot with what he's talked about in Romans chapter 8. That we will be glorified. It says rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Why? Because patience makes us Christ-like. And so as we go through tribulation with one another, we, we go through it while we love each other and we're patient through it. We continue steadfastly in prayer. We take care of each other's needs. We, we welcome one another freely and happily to our households. And in fact, we are actually lovers of strangers. And we don't have to look very hard to find strangers. There, there are people that are weird and different that are, that are regularly a part of our meetings. You, you don't even have to go knock on your neighbor's door that you've never known their name. Now, you, you should do that. There are people that are drastically different than you and I to meet with us corporately. And he says we are supposed to be given to hospitality. There should be a love that is obvious. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 
if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If you've been wronged, don't try to get back. Allow God to take care of it. Allow God to deal with the situation as he sees fit. But in the meantime, while you wait for God to deal out his just righteous wrath with those who sin against you, how do you and I respond? Verse 21, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think that the passage is then teaching us that we are here for two things. Our relationship to God and our relationship to others. Our relationship to others requires that we become humble. That we realize that we are members of a body. That we are integral parts and important keys to the puzzle of a successful, healthy church body. It also means that we must demonstrate love to one another. And I believe that the demands of love can only be met in fellowship with one another. I do not believe that we can successfully grow and mature as God intends if we are not regularly in fellowship with one another. For us to be a church that is focused on God and to be honoring him and worshiping him as we ought we must be in regular fellowship yes with God but also with one another why because I think it's a key ingredient a key component of how we renew our minds we are not meant to individually by ourselves without the comment or concern of other believers who love us and know us to pursue renewing our minds all alone. That is never how God intended the Christian life. The Christian life is one that is led in and one that prospers in and one that will only survive long term in in close fellowship with one another. What are you here for? You're here for a relationship with God and relationship with others. God then wants us to be in fellowship with Him. Are you pursuing fellowship with God? Are you spending time meditating on who God is? Are you spending time encouraging other believers with who your God is by reminding Him, by reminding her of who your God is? you take time out of your schedule to gather corporately to be reminded of who God is and to be encouraged in faithfulness and obedience to him as you do these things you will be renewed in your mind and you will resemble Jesus Christ and you will shun the world you will no longer be conformed to the way the world thinks what is the world driven by the world is driven by fear what is what is the gospel driven by? Not by fear. 
the gospel and the implications that come from the gospel are driven by humility and love, then God wants us to be in fellowship with one another. You're not only here for relationship with God, you are here for relationship with others. And clear instructions are given, outlining our interaction with others. You are here as a member, or as a partner, of Emmanuel Baptist Church. And so it's your responsibility, it's my responsibility to pursue humility before one another. And to pursue genuine love that is without hypocrisy. Will you pursue that this week? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you do answer the question, what are we here for? We are here for relationship with you. We are here for relationship with others. We pray that we would earnestly strive after those goals that you have given us. And that as we do so, that you would use those two relationship venues to renew our minds, to help us to be transformed into your image so that we are not conformed into the world's image. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, I will give you a few minutes to uh, get off because sometimes that's been a problem. Hi, we're actually just wrapping up. If you just joined us, sorry. Um, it'll go live in a few minutes, or it'll not go live, but it will be available for you to watch in a few minutes um, after I get off. So just be watching the videos. I don't know who you are that just got on a minute ago, but in a second it will, will be available once again. Alright, have a good afternoon. We will see you all tonight. I'll probably just keep this set up because uh, I don't know what's going on upstairs. Alright, Bye.